Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Wendell Moses. I'm here um, guest speaking in place of Tim Jennings, who's away. Um, that's going to happen several times over the next couple of months with meetings and whatnot. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together to study your word. May we honor you. Send your spirit into this place. Be with us. Help us. Open our minds. Help us what we say. That it may be to your name's honor and glory. Amen. Today we're covering lesson number five, the experience of unity in the early church. The memory text for this week is, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers, Acts 2.42, New King James Version. So I'd like to just go to the study guide and say in the first paragraph, it says, church unity is the result of a shared spiritual experience in Jesus, who is the truth. And then it quotes, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John fourteen six. How do you read this? Is this a true statement? Okay. There's a, a nodding of heads. Okay. In what way is it true? Many times on radio stations and other things, I hear this described as a declarative statement with some restrictive implications. Meaning, I am the way, there's no other way. You can't come to God except by saying, Jesus Christ died for my sins, I'm a sinner, and I, I want to be saved. That, that is the, in a declarative statement way. Okay? There is a Shakespeare quote from Romeo and Juliet saying, A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And I think the same is true about Christ. There are many who have never uttered the word of Christ or Jesus or whatever and who follow him better than others who, de- who take his name. Okay? You know, and I, I think it's interesting because um, language is something I'm interested in. I can't speak any language very well, including English, but um, language, I'm fascinated by language. And it's interesting that probably Christ, when he was on this earth, never heard the word Jesus. Okay? Or many other iterations that we hear or think about of being his name. You know, Joshua and Jesus are the same, same word. Okay? So his name was Joshua, or however you say that in the original Arabic or whatever. You're saying that he heard it in another language. He, didn't he heard it in another language, and he probably have never even heard it like we pronounce it. Etc. And yet we often make these declarative statements about how you have to have the name of Jesus, etc., you know, for something good to happen. Okay? Is it pronounced Yeshua or something like that? Yeah, some people say it is. You know, we were talking um, earlier about taking a trip to the Holy Land or whatever, and I, I had the privilege of doing that uh, a few years back. And um, on the top of Masada, 
the fortress um, rock that where there was a revolt and whatnot, etc. And on top of that, inside a little glass enclosure was a rabbi, and he was making an official copy of the Torah. And he was he had just started, and so he had only had a few pages of Genesis done, completed. And but if you would go up to him and tell him your name, you know, he would um, write on a little piece of paper what your name was in Hebrew and give it back to you. And you pay him. Yeah, a buck or something like that. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like you had to pay him 10 bucks, but I think you paid him a buck. And, and that's how he supported his life on copying the Torah. And I can't find it right now. It's in my wallet somewhere. I have it in here somewhere. And um, he says, what is your name? I says, Moses. And he started laughing. <laughs> Wrote it out and handed it back to me. He says, that was an easy one. <laughs> you know, but again, he says, oh, you mean Moshe or something like that. I mean, it's not Moses. It's an anglicized version of that name, etc. you know. So, how do you relate to the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Um, the statement by Christ is descriptive, not proscriptive. Not restrictive. He's not trying to keep anyone out. Okay? He's trying to get everyone in. You know, in Mark 9.40 and Luke 9.50, the same um, story is told about, etc. In which uh, the disciples came to him and said, um, there's some guy talking and, you know, doing something in your name. And he's not one of us. And so he tried to make him stop. And Christ said, he that is not against us is for us. I mean, here... Within this organization, this church that I belong to, there was a church in Tampa, St. Pete, some years back, that used the name Seventh-day Adventist, and an official attorney went up there and closed them down because they were saying things that didn't quite go with the whatever, okay? And so I think in this current legal and whatever environment... um you know, that's a different way. God, in John 3.17, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. The whole world. You know, he's not trying to keep people out. And I see that statement as being descriptive. He's the one that's trying to do all this. It's not he's got a narrow little way and you have to have a Whatever. Prior to coming to earth, Christ was working for us. During his ministry on earth, Christ was working for us. And now that he's in heaven, Christ is working for us, both in his role and ministry. You know, John sixteen twenty six and 27, the Father loves us. And is working for us. Romans 8, 26 and 31 through 38. The Holy Spirit is working for us. God the Father 
and the Son are all working for us. All of them are for us. Went a little, sorry, got a little carried away with that, but anyway. Um, with an understanding of design law, uh, that memory text makes a whole lot more sense to me now than it did 20 years ago. So I was of the mindset that, oh, well, you've got to use the correct language, you've got to use right. the correct name, maybe even the correct pronunciation. You've got to use it in the correct sentence structure, a concrete way of understanding that. The very narrow little, yes. you know, and, and then you harmonize that with narrow is the path, uh, the, uh, right. the path leads to destruction, and all those texts that get cherry picked. But with a design law understanding and understanding that Christ was the member of the Godhead that created life to operate around certain laws of the universe. Right. Yeah, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life it makes a whole lot more sense. For those of you who have the lesson quarterly, going down to the bottom paragraph on the um, Saturday Sabbath afternoon, um, I would insist that fellowship is particularly important element in corporate worship. There is no substitute the, to the Christian for realization of the spiritual bond which unites him with other believers and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ first brings a soul to himself but then he always unites that soul to other believers in his body, the church. Is this true? If so, why? Depends on which, uh, which group you're fellowshipping with, I would suppose. Um, there have been some places that I've been that had I remained, um, I would be spiritually dead. Um, and I recognized that and left. So... He, he does unite with unite you with other believers because you need that support. Why? Why? Yeah. You go through trials, you definitely need support. We're social beings. We're social beings. Love operates outwardly. Okay. So two things. One of those is focus on self. One thing is we are social beings. I had communal beings. I had a different word, but same same concept. Okay. So we're communal beings. So that's how we're made, is communal beings or social beings. Okay? The other issue is how we function. What is our function in this world or this life? How does it work? Um, you know, that's how we're designed. Tr- um, reading from Christ's Object Lessons, um, true holiness is wholeness in the service of God. This is the condition of true Christian living. Christ asked for an unreserved consecration for undivided service. He demands the heart, the mind, the soul, the strength. Why? Self is not to be cherished. He who lives to himself is not a Christian. That's how we're made. Okay? There's a um, a bunch of, of modern E.G. White books, and I have shunned them pretty much, Amen. except that I came across statements this week and I had imported them into my lesson before I realized what they were. And so I'll go ahead and read them. And if it bothers you, I'm sorry, but um, this is where, where we are, okay? Many who really want to live for God spend too much time thinking about their faults. In this way, Satan tries to separate them from Christ and hopes to gain the victory. 
we should not make self the center of our thoughts, nor worry whether we should be saved. Thinking of self turns our minds from God, who gives us strength. We should give ourselves to God and trust Him. We should talk and think of Jesus and forget ourselves. That's page 70.5. So when I realized what mistake I had made, I um, went to Steps to Christ, page 70.5, and read the paragraph. It was, t- it was so close, I just left it. But, you know, anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Um, going to 71.3. When Christ became a human being, he tied the people of the world to himself by a tie of love. This tie can never be broken except by our own choice. Satan is always trying to get us to choose to break this tie to Christ. We need to watch and pray that nothing will lead us to choose another master. We are always free to do this. Let us keep our eyes on Christ and he will hold us. We are safe when we are looking to Jesus. Nothing can take us out of his hands. We are to look at him all the time. For then, that same glory coming from the Lord transforms us into his likeness. I think that's, that's well said. Um, but then I have um, concerns because what about time alone with nature? What about meditation? What about prayer life? You know, I've had individuals who have... Um, not gone to church because they wanted to devote some time to prayer. Or they wanted to go and experience God in nature, and they felt like they could experience God in nature more than in a church. What do you say about that? I think that it's one of the problems in our churches now is that Jesus is not the focus. As you were talking about not letting self be the focus, in some ways, the church has become the focus of the church instead of Jesus. Okay. And so when we go, we don't hear about Jesus. We don't fellowship about Jesus. We don't share our stories about Jesus. We just talk about what it means to be an Adventist. And are we still right? Why do we go to church? To hear about God. To hear about God. Okay. Why else do we go to church? Okay, well, okay. to hear about God, when we hear about God, what, what is that purpose of hearing about God? Who does it transform? The person who is listening, Both. correct? Both. Both? You teaching and the people listening. Okay, right, okay, so the teacher and the listener, okay? Is there anything else happening? Yeah, fellowship. Fellowship. Okay. So, the purpose of going to church is to give the preacher something to do. That's what I'm hearing. Okay. Okay. Second thing, the purpose of going to church is so that the listeners will hear what he has to say. The third purpose of the church is to... Commune with others. Is there another purpose of the church? To share. To share. Who is sharing what and and how? Share resources to share. Share resources with whom? 
Those who need it. Those who are there. So the church is for itself. No. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to... Okay, my daughter's a chemist, okay? She's getting married December the... No, April the 28th. <laughs> April 28th, next year, okay? We have selected a church. The reason we selected a church is because it has a center aisle. It's hard to find a center aisle around here. Right. It doesn't bother me to not have a center aisle, but it does some people, okay? She, she, she deals with little boxes, uh, fifty thousandths of an inch long, but they're still, they're still little boxes, okay? Got a laser, whatever. Um, so often when we talk, we divide things up into little boxes, and that's what I'm doing right now, is I'm dividing the purpose of, of church attendance into little boxes, okay? And I realize the boxes have oozy edges, okay? So I don't mean to... Um, totally restrict our discussion of, into little boxes, but um, for th- purpose of discussion, just trying to figure out. So, church is for the pastor, for the listener, for the the communion of, of, amongst each other, and for the benefit of others, for resources, and that could be for the church or for outside the church. Okay, it's a training ground for witnessing. Ah. It helps. It's a school. Okay? It's also a place to gain strength from others' experiences. Okay. Others' experiences helps us. Especially the false one to another that you may be healed. We do that very badly. Uh, I think a lot of times, no matter what the activity is, if it's not done in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, it's pretty much a waste of time. We come up with a lot of different plans and programs and formats and ministries, but if they're not presented in the power of the Holy Spirit... The end result is not what it should be or could be. Okay. So everything that we do, whether we go to church, whether we don't go to church, whether we go to, to, on nature, whether we stay home and pray, has got to be, the power has got to be provided by the Holy Spirit because in the Desire of Ages it says that everything that Christ did is only effectual, only comes into our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Don't, don't question that at all. Um as far as church, though, um, church, we are a community of believers, okay? And one of the big issues about why you should go to church is not for yourself. We, we often do much of what we do as a church for others. And if you do not come, I am less blessed because I do not have the same community I do not have the same experience to relate to. I do not have the same sharing of experiences amongst if fewer people come. I wish there were more members here. Okay? But we, we, the reason we go to church should not be primarily us. It's not for what we listen to, although that helps. Yes? That still has the wrong focus, because the church is described in the Bible as the body of Christ. Okay. So Christ is the head, the brain. If you think about what, what does the body do for the brain, Our, the essential part of us is here. And this part of us expresses what's here, feeds what's here, takes care of what's here, transports what's here. And we should be transporting Christ, we should speak, be speaking Christ, we should be handing out Christ, we should be taking Christ everywhere, 
we should be providing for Christ's work. And that's what I, we miss the focus. We become about ourselves or even about each other, but it's really about Jesus and what does he want us to do. And we, I don't know, I, I'm sad. I'm sad because Jesus has been set over here. And we think that we're doing what he wants us to do, but we haven't been. Or we wouldn't be in the situation we are. Okay. Yeah. You know, when we look at the early church, um, it looks nothing like what we have now. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think sometimes that we've become like Israel who wanted a king. Um, and so then they got one and, you know, that sank them. Um, because when you look at what they did, they didn't get together and have one person speak and then everybody leave. You know, they got together, they helped each other, they found out what each other's needs were, they fed those needs. Um, if there was inequality, they addressed it. Um, you know, and, and all of that was because, like she said, they had Christ. They had the Holy Spirit. And now it's become more of a, let me go and hear the sermon and leave. And... Complain about it over uh, yeah, and complain <laughs> about it over lunch. <laughs> um, now. We lack, <laughs> we lack the power. Um, what's, what's the verse, you know, we, uh, have, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah pro- it's in Timothy God, somewhere, we, profess God, but we lack the power. Yeah. Okay. When I was studying the lesson, it seems to me like what the early church was like was more like what our prayer meeting should be like, you know, and how many of us go to prayer meeting, but that's where. Do we have a prayer meeting? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I will have to say that when I was growing up until I was 10 years of age, I think I missed a Wednesday night prayer meeting less than two out of those 10 years. I mean, that was just like eating, you know? I mean, you came and fed the cows and got all the chickens done and everything else because you knew you were at prayer meeting. That just, it was just it. Well, you know? a lot of churches start prayer meeting with a supper together, a light supper, mm-hmm. you know, and they study and pray together. There's a season where everybody can pray and stuff. That's what it sounds like the early church was like. Where they fellowshiped, they ate together, they fellowshiped together, they shared together, you know, and it was more strengthening, it sounded like to me, really, than what our church service is today. So let's go to Wednesday's lesson. The title is Generosity and Greed. Okay? And it's largely, the second half of it at least, is a comparison between Barnabas, the good guy, and Ananias and Sapphira. You know, it's interesting how we have certain names association, okay? Seldom have I ever met, I see kids named all sorts of things, okay? Seldom have I ever met a child named Lucifer. (laughs) I found one, you know, in my practice, it's called Lucifer. Um, Judas or Adolf. Yeah, or or Adolf or Judas, yeah. Sapphira. I've had a couple girls named Sapphira, and I've asked their parents, where'd you get that name? And they said, oh, it was a pretty name. And I said, well, have you ever heard of anyone else named by that? And um, they hadn't, you know? Jezebel, you know, is another, you know, name that's notorious. But Sapphira is kind of one of those names, you know, you know, you name your daughter Sapphira. So anyway, 
um, have a couple questions about the early church. Okay. When did Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira join the church? Any thoughts? Okay. So we have Acts 1. Christ is still here for 40 days. Then we have 10 days of prayer and devotion, whatnot, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then we have stories in Acts 3 and 4 about miracles and getting persecuted by the Sanhedrin and all that sort of stuff, etc. And then we come to chapters 4 and 5, where we find the story of Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. This is one continuum. Barnabas was undoubtedly part of this original group of people, as was Ananias and Sapphira. We're talking all about the same church. I mean, the chapters weren't, didn't come until 1200 AD. The verses didn't come until 15 or 1456 or uh, something like that. I can't remember exactly. But it was. didn't have them in the 16th century. So Ananias and Sapphira were part of the original church, Acts 2 church. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, okay, that's kind of unusual because I think of the Acts. I mean, I've been hit over my head all my life about the Acts 2 church and how I wasn't part of it. Um, and yet Ananias and Sapphira are probably part of the Acts 2 church, as was Barnabas, okay? This is all one short story of Scripture, and I got to thinking about the disciples. Who was paired with Judas? Christ sent out his 12 disciples who preached, who performed miracles by two by two. Judas was sent out. He undoubtedly preached and ministered and had a partner in his ministry. Okay? No one had a clue. In fact, when it came time for the Last Supper, for him to go out and betray Christ, the disciples thought he was going out to do something good with a money box. Okay? So he was, he was integrated. He was part and parcel of the disciples. Okay? Ananias and Sapphira were part and parcel of this Acts 2 church. You know, we have parables of Christ talking about the wheat and the tares, the sower, the rocky soil, the, the weeds and all that other stuff, etc. The, the fishing net, you know, the good and the bad and the fish and they were sorting the fish or whatever, etc. Just because we have sinners in our church does not mean God is not there. We get the idea that there was something different about the Acts 2 church compared to the Acts 4 and 5 church. And there wasn't. It's, it was one church. Okay? It had members in it who had their highs and lows. I don't think there's a, a church of, available or a family or a Christian who hasn't had their spiritual highs and lows. You know, um, we have to be careful about you know, there's been an implication recently 
that if we just had a perfect church, Christ would come back. Well, if that's true, then he could have come back about two centuries ago, right during Acts 2. Okay? All right. Anyway, um, moving on. Paragraph four. Let's see. One, two. Uh, this is Wednesday lesson. Paragraph four. One, two, three, four. Besides their sin of outright lying to the Holy Spirit, these people, Ananias and Sapphira, also displayed greed and covetousness. Perhaps no sin can destroy fellowship and brotherly love faster than selfishness and greed. Why? Maybe I should read it again. Because life centers around yourself and nobody else. Therefore, you're excluding everybody else. Okay. And damaging other people. Okay. We've talked in here about before about the survival of the fittest versus other-centered love. Okay? Not my will, but thine be done. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, you know, faith of Jesus, faith in Jesus. John fifteen thirteen, Christ said, the greatest love you can have for your friends is to give your life for them. Okay? I realize that when he said that, we often apply that only to him because he died for us and we're not dying for each other. Or are we? Or would we? But giving your life for others does not, is not restricted to just dying a literal death for them. Okay? It's also giving of our lives, our time, our attention, our priorities, our emotional energy, who we are. That's all. Um, Jesus says, if you want to follow me to pick, take up your cross, we've talked about what does that mean? It's the death of self. You know, that self is not in charge. Instead, I, oh. I let self go and can, I let Jesus be in charge. Can I change your statement just a little bit? Yes. I think self is in charge because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Okay? Yes. But it's not about yourself it's not it's see what was the statement um it's not is not thinking less of yourself but thinking not thinking less of yourself but thinking let thinking of yourself less okay okay what i meant is that self is not on the throne okay jesus is yeah. on the throne and in the fifth paragraph in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 21 through 17, the last commandment about covetousness is unlike the others. I have a big, fat no after that. Okay? The Ten Commandments, how do you see them? Schoolmaster. Okay? We have a text. Talking to the schoolmaster. How else do you see them? A guide. A guide? Diagnostic. Diagnostic. If you view the commandments as declarative statements of commands, this might, the statement might be true in this. They'd be different. 
you know, I looked up three words um, in this thing. Proscription, description, or prescription. Okay? Proscription, the forbidding of something. Thou shalt not. You can't do that. Okay? The prescription, you should do this. Or the description, or description. If you're a true Christian, you will look like this. Okay? The Ten Commandments, you know, in many places are not called the Ten Commandments. They're called the Ten Words. Words are descriptions of something. They're not obligatory blocks to something. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21 and 22, Christ says, You have heard that people were told in the past, do not commit murder. Anyone who does will be brought to trial. But now I tell you, if you are angry with your brother, you'll be brought to trial. If you call your brother you good for nothing, you'll be brought before the council. And if you call your brother a worthless fool, you'll be in danger of going to hell. And I read that and I thought, oh, great. You know, not only can I not even kill my brother, I can even call him an idiot, which I think he is sometimes. Okay? Okay? It makes it even harder to be a Christian or whatever, according to this, right? No. Well, whatever. Let's keep on going. Matthew 27, 20, uh, 5, 27, 28. You've heard it that it said, do not commit adultery. But now I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman and wants to possess her is guilty of committing adultery with her in his heart. You know, to me, what Christ is describing is the same description of the 10th commandment. It's all in your mind. The 10 commandments are not roadblocks. They're a description of what we look like. If we're Christian. Yes. But if we understood the design and the love behind the Ten Commandments, wouldn't they be more like maybe a hallmark moment for us? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh my, this is what I'm supposed to look like. You know? What he wants for me. Right. How much he must love me. Yeah. What was the lesson trying to... What was the point they were trying to make by, by saying that the... While, while other, uh, continue on with a paragraph. While other commandments speak actions that visibly transgress God's will for humanity, the last commandment is about what is hidden in the heart. No! All of them are about what's hidden in the heart. Right. Okay? But the other ones are, it says, visible to others. Yeah, I, that may be the point they're trying to make. Is that well, it's, it's okay. often visible if you bow down to an idol. It's visible if often if you steal or murder. It's By visible if you yeah. dishonor your parents. But but harboring that that heart and mind state ahead of the action is often not not visible. But it's like Nabal's Nabal's vineyard. You know, um, the reason Nabal got lost his life and and lost his vineyard was because of covetousness on the part of Ahab the king. You know, it all starts in the heart, and that starts whether it's murder or adultery or stealing or any of the, the things. You know, the, the commandment, thou shalt not, um, um, in the first half, um, take the Lord's name in vain. I often thought it would talk about swearing. It has nothing to do about swearing. It has to be about having a label on as Christ and not being as Christ. 
You know, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. But you can covet in your heart, be a sin, and never have an action with it. But I can, I can look at you, I can look at you in a lustful way, and you'll never know it. Right, that's what I'm saying. So, okay. so all, all of it's in the heart. It's all in the heart. Well, yeah, I, yeah, but the other ones, I think what it's saying is the other ones are observable actions. People can see it, but you can covet somebody or something and nobody even know it but you. I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I kind of have to say that probably this is, is a false um, thing because if truly lust in your heart is the same as adultery and um, you know, whatever, um, then all of it is in your heart. It's, it's, it's not um, thing. Yeah, and I, I, I realize that, but I think that's that goes back to Christ's statements. You need to; be, it's a different a different focus. There's a Christ object passage that goes along with this, which is one of my favorite things. The man who attempts to keep the commandments of God from a sense of obligation merely, because he's required to do so, will never enter into the joy of obedience. He does not obey. Wait a second. Just cut, I haven't killed I haven't killed Russell yet, you know. Yet, when the requirements of God are accounted a burden because they cut across human inclination, we may know that the life is not a Christian life. True obedience is the outworking of a principle within. It springs from the love of the righteousness, the love of the law of God. The essence of all righteousness is loyalty to our Redeemer. This will lead us to do right because it is right, because right doing is pleasing to God. Why is right doing pleasing to God? Because we're following the blueprint. That's how we are designed. Yeah, makes us happy, makes him happy. It's how life is supposed to exist. So the Ten Commandments all are in your mind. You know, it's not just the Tenth. The colored section at the bottom of the page says, what are ways in which we can seek to uproot covetousness from our own lives? That's not our job. That's not our job. What is the natural uh, result if our attention is on self? By beholding, we become changed. What should be the focus of our attention? Where should our time be spent? By comparing ourselves to the law, we get the diagnosis. But our attention shouldn't be there. Okay? Our attention should be on the remedy, not the problem. Second Corinthians 3.18, we need to behold him. I um, have a stack of books in a bookshelf by my bed that I seldom look at. They're called Testimonies for the Church. Someone had my reaction to those books, and they went to a seasoned passer and said, these books look a lot like Righteousness by Works. And he says, you haven't read the title. They're testimonies for the church. Don't go reading them until you're a Christian. They're to help us 
once we're Christians, once we have, are walking by faith, once we are, have a relationship with Christ, then you can read those books. You shouldn't read those books if you're struggling with your faith. Volumes two and three in every letter is the gospel. Okay. And every testimony. I'll, I'll take your word for that. I haven't read it. You will be blessed. Good. The majority of each testimony is the gospel. It's at least half. Okay. Volume five is very good. You know, I've, I've gotten some good passage out of that, only because I've been sent there, not because I've, I've read it. From Mr. White's autobiography, volumes two and three are letters to individuals. In they have been badly excerpted into other. Things. Yeah. But in those letters, there's always the situation. The situation is important because advice varies according to the person who's receiving it. Okay. Advice is the smallest part. The majority of it is the gospel. Hmm. I commend to you those books. Yeah. I, you know, I, I tell everyone not to read messages to young people. I think it's a work of the devil. Messages to young people. I have the, uh, the youth instructor that was bound from which those experts were taken. She followed the same rhetorical pattern, situation, advice, gospel. The person who did messages to young people took out the advice paragraphs and left out the situation and the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hated that woman. You know, I've, I've said told you before, I've hated that, I hated that woman. And... In my era of, um, they had came out some books about her that were really bad and everything else. And I went and went to all the lectures. Um, I went to the Museum of California and Sam, uh, in Redlands. Um, and a person stood up there and was just had vitriol about that woman. And, um, I, um, so in trying to figure out who this person was, who I'd been beat over the head with all my life, um, and who I didn't like very much, I bought the original CD of her complete writings. And every time someone gave a quote, no matter how short or long it was, I looked up the quote and went back to the original These Times or whatever article from which it was exerted. And often what she was trying to convey was opposite of what was conveyed in the statements as they were brought out. And I changed my mind on who this little old woman was you know, I have most respect for her. I still have some trouble reading those red little books sometimes, but it's because it's for the church. It's for if you have a walk with God and you're wanting to go and explore, etc. Yes, that's the time. But don't go read those trying to find. Yes. When I was teaching in the early teen division, uh-huh. I was just a teacher there. The leader said to me, "We're taking a collection because we're going to buy all the students' messages to young people for their eighth grade graduation." And I said to her. Oh, were you hoping that all these young people will leave the Adventist church? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, we're talking Matthew, Jesus talks to the Pharisees, and he says, you know, in these situations, you have made them twice the sons of hell. Right. I think we've done the same thing. We have adults that no longer can d- determine whether they're talking about baggage or if they're talking about conscience. We've masked our conscience with all this baggage, and it's hard to tell which one is really trying to motivate you one way or the other, whether it's your baggage from the past, these legalistic issues, or it's actually your conscience trying to bring you clarity. There's, I mean, all parts of Scripture are not the same. You know, do you read in the Psalms about where you, you smash your, your enemy's baby's heads against the rock and go out and do likewise? Smash the teeth of the wicked every day. Yeah. You know, um, I brought two journals that I read on a regular basis. Now, this one happens to be an old one. It's 2013, but I don't read this one. You know, whatever. It's, it's the first one I came to. I have fine woodworking, okay? 
and the Journal of Pediatric Orthopedics. I enjoy very much reading both of them. Okay? I do. I have a great time reading both of them. I read them in different ways. They're for different purposes. Come on, there's some overlap. <laughs> That was probably ancient medicine, okay? Yeah. Yesterday, I guess I guess it was Thursday, a, a patient came into my office and, and he has things sticking out from his body and he says, How are you gonna get these out of my body? And when I was explaining the situation, he was not he was not comforted. And um his mother said, Well, you need to go and look on on YouTube. And I thought, oh heavens, you know. Uh, this is probably not what he should do, you know. And so um, there are things that we misunderstand based on our perceptions. And how we read something is based on its purpose. You know, it's, it's based on its purpose. And you, I do not read this and try to do this with all reality, Okay. I mean, some of my same manual skills are used in both fields, okay? But um, I, it's, it's totally different realms. And I think even in Scripture, there are totally different realms for different parts of Scripture. And heaven forbid if we try to make our doctrine out of a, a proof text, out of some psalm or whatever, some statement without who it was for. Well, I have to say, of all the books that I've read of Sister White's, the testimonies actually step on my feet more than anything else. And sometimes I can't read it because I feel so inadequate as a Christian right. when I read it. And, and I, I go back to my original statement. You, you have, it's for the church. It's for those who are strong in their faith, who are living a positive life, who, who are connected with Christ and are visiting Christ. And it, under that circumstance, there are certain passages, maybe two and three are better, but, you know, um, I was going to read from beginning to end and I, I gave that up. Um, not that other people can't. It's, I couldn't. Okay, and that's just a personal testimony. That's not, you know, what you should do or shouldn't do or whatever. You know, this is just a personal. Great. I'm, I'm glad you have. Um, th- there were some things in the um, teacher's quarterly that I thought I should bring forward. And um, there's different sections in the t- lesson helps for the teachers. One's called teacher's comments. And it's the learning cycle. Key concept for spiritual growth. As we share in worship and fellowship, the Holy Spirit works through us to transform our attitudes so to that of love for one another. This transformation gives glory to God. How does it give glory to God? How does our transformation of attitudes to that of love for one another, how does that give glory to God? Because a natural inclination is a sinful nature. We want the sinful nature. When people can see in us how we treat others with love and kindness. It's like, where did that come from? Because, you know, I don't have that in me. It's not natural. It has to come from someplace. And that's when you can witness that it comes from God. That is not a call into our fallen nature, but I think it is natural. It's just a different nature. It's what we are supposed to be like. 
It's what the original design protocol was for. And and that way, it is natural. It is natural to what God is like. Okay? Um, it's, it shows the design of the Creator to what it really is like to be that way. Um, let me turn over to page 67. It says, um, read the first paragraph on page 67. Um, Acts 2 provides a glimpse into the life of the first Christian community. It was a community experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit and convicted of the importance of the message of the gospel. It is It also was a community that demonstrated God's love practically through a profound unity in the Spirit that is repeatedly highlighted in the early chapters of Acts. Such unity does not occur by accident. No, it occurs by design. Okay? It is, it is something, it is not something we have to work at, but it is work, something we have to work through. It does require effort on our part, just as anything else in God's creation requires energy input to maintain its integrity. The second law of thermodynamics in the physical world. God is constantly putting energy of our recreation and sustenance for this world. You know, Christ made the comment about um, the birds of the air don't have storehouses and yet God cares for them and yet Every day in my yard, I see crows. They're not sitting on the branch waiting for something to come fall into their mouth. It takes energy. There is um, there are th- some who would like to say, just give up and let God. And if you truly do not have energy expended into your life, either by the Holy Spirit or your own energy, things will fall apart. Um, There was another statement, and I need to find it quickly. Um, Oop, that wasn't it. Um, I left it alone. Um, Here, okay. Um, In Tuesday's lesson, they talked about unity of, of fellowship, which goes along with this same topic, okay? Um, in the third paragraph on Tuesday's lesson, it says, the mention of fellowship certainly infers that this new community spent time together. Time together develops bonds, good or bad depending on who you're with, okay? We see this in relationships. We see this in marriages, intentional groups. We would do well as a church or any organization to foster activities together. But then as I was reading this lesson, I thought, wait a minute. There's a statement that says, absence makes the heart grow fonder. How does that work? Does it? 
I mean, is absence make the heart grow fonder or absence makes the heart go wander? It's only fonder if you had a some type of a good relationship with that memory to begin with. Because if there wasn't good to begin with, it's certainly not going to get better as you think back on it if you're away from it. You mentioned the word think. That has a key element into how absence makes the heart grow fonder. You grow fonder of the absent individual only if your thoughts dwell on that individual. If you spend time either in person or in some other way, together you grow fonder. It's a model for Christian growth and community. You can't grow together by being apart. Um, there's one final um, thing I wanted to uh, mention, and it's kind of in light of some of the recent uh, um, activities in Battle Creek, Michigan. Um, on page 67, again, of the teacher's lesson, um, Divining Devotion. The early followers of Jesus are described as continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to give devotion to something involves being faithful to it. The wholehearted attention that faithfulness demands means that devotion cannot happen without a significant level of commitment and discipline. Therefore, devotion cannot be ordered or imposed on others. Rather, true devotion flows from one's own attitudes and priorities. It's a response of the heart. So um, I think that has a lot to do with um, some of the actions that have happened in the recent recent past and the, the votes that have been made and decisions that have been made. Okay. Well, I'd like to close with a, a thought for the day. I, there's a guy who just moved back to College Dell area named Doug Martin. He, he was here in my era. And he went off to Southeast Asia or something. I don't know, all parts unknown, et cetera. And he, he just moved back to retire here or something. I don't know. He's on, he's on my Facebook somehow. I don't know how that happened because I only have about 25 people on my Facebook, but somehow he keeps popping up. But he, he had a quote from Review of Herald, August 19th, 1890, that I thought was very appropriate. If you have been permitted to stand in the presence of the Son of Righteousness, it is not that you may absorb and conceal the bright beams of Christ's righteousness, but that you may become a light to others. Let's bow our heads. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here. We thank you for your spirit. May we honor you. Be with us today and this week. May we know how to be beams of light, of your light, to those around us. May we serve our purpose in helping others. Amen.